Well, hello. I'm Lainey, also known as Electro Girl, and I'm an advocate for empowering people to get back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. See, I was diagnosed with epilepsy 30 years ago and basically was never satisfied with hearing from a doctor that pharmaceuticals would be the only approach to controlling my seizures. I just wasn't going to take it. Out of my way, mortal. So I committed many, many years to researching and finding an answer outside of the Western medicine approach to find a more holistic approach in managing and treating my epilepsy and the seizures. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is a show about exactly that. Each week, we will be looking into the life of someone who has been diagnosed with a condition or illness and has succeeded in managing their diagnosis both in and outside of Western medicine. To start off, we will look at the Western medicine prognosis and approach to dealing with their diagnosis inside the square. Then, we'll dip our toes a little deeper into their story where we talk about other empowering modalities that worked for those people outside of that square. Basically, what put them back in the driver's seat of their diagnosis. So hang around with me while we explore living in and outside the medical square when it comes to loving your diagnosis. Okay, hi, and welcome to the Love Your Diagnosis podcast. I'm here today with Brioni Swart, and um, we're going to be talking about, well, firstly, introduce yourself, um, what you've been diagnosed with and how long ago that was. Yeah, no worries. So it was in 2013, um, and I was diagnosed with cervical cancer and a suspected lymph metastases in my um, left pelvis. Um, it was just picked up from a routine pap test, so I didn't have I was didn't have any symptoms at the time. So um, that was a good thing that it was that it was picked up. How often were you having pap smears? Uh, yeah, I've been, I've been very you know regular each every two years. It's the systems changed since then, of course. It's a bit different now. Um, I was a bit later. It was about the two and a half year mark because I had a one year old. Uh, and I uh, had just recently stopped breastfeeding him um, and then got around to, you know, going to the, the doctor for the test. And so I kind of, you know, I wasn't expecting anything to be wrong. How old were you at the time? 37. And so, yeah, you just go in, you have a pap smear like we, well, like we do, and you just always get that negative response. So I guess my next question to you is, what was your feeling when the doctor, I'm presuming or assuming that the doctor rang you and said, you need to come in. They didn't just do it over the phone. They didn't. They, you know, he said, um, come in. So I um, made an appointment and went in and, you know, obviously the anxiety is really high because you know that something's not right because otherwise they just tell you it's negative. Um, and I had my baby with me and it was a little bit odd. I felt, I felt like I was watching myself and it wasn't really me. It was really a kind of surreal experience and I do remember it quite vividly um, and he was my GP and I had a quite a good relationship with him but I was super healthy and fit and uh, you know hadn't had big health issues uh, before at the time it was well you you have cancer and then beyond that it would you know I would find out exactly what that meant you know which type and stage and all that kind of stuff but right then it was okay we need to find out more basically and then I went out to the car and I, I held it together and I got in the car and then just burst into tears so yeah just just let it out and the little one was with me and I think he thought I was laughing 
rather than crying because he let you know he did this little giggle uh, which yeah was, was kind of a good thing at the time. How long in between the diagnoses and the actual end like that initial well you've got cancer and what tests were actually done for you like did you feel like a pincushion because I know with diagnoses at the time um, you can start to feel like a number a lot of people kind of complain about that I just felt like a number and I felt like I was just going through the motions and there was no real like care about me so how many tests and 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 how long did it take yeah the the diagnosis was pretty straightforward I guess you know I know other people who've um have health conditions that have taken a long time but but cervical cancer is pretty straight up you know you get a result (laughs) that it's the question mark um around the lymph metastases in my pelvis that didn't come till after the PET scan so after the pap test it was working out if it was pre-cancer or cancer I'm like what's the difference what does that even mean so then you start you start the information overload and that detail and um, it becomes quite a rabbit hole but um, PET scan was booked in very quickly and and that was clear from the cervix perspective but it was vague um, regarding the metastases and and you know obviously that would mean spreading it could mean other tissues ovaries anything in my hips and and there wasn't a definitive diagnosis on that so then that became the vague part of well how do we treat that and um and you know and and you you understand the medical system more and realize that it's it's not an exact science and you know there are protocols in place and I didn't feel like a number, I don't think. I think the people I was in touch with, um, you know, my GP was great. And my oncologist was fantastic, straight up, very blunt, which I appreciated. That's Perfect. Well, there was no stuffing around, you know. He joked around. Had you known anyone with cancer before you were diagnosed yes, with it? but not, you know, I, I knew people who'd um, had abnormal cervical test results before, plenty of those, but no one who'd had, you know, actual cancer results come back especially without symptoms or anything like that so um and you know and the doctors explain that it's you know it it can vary quite a bit um especially with something like cervical cancer it's not it's not just a simple everyone's the same everyone's condition everyone's situation is very different um so so yeah that was acknowledged I guess, you know, the purpose of this podcast is to kind of give people food for thought that might be going through the same thing as you around treatment. Because I, from my own experience, when you're diagnosed with someone and someone is basically saying, I've done the work to understand this more than you have, and this is the road that I think you should go down, you kind of feel you lose a little bit of empowerment because you go, oh, I've got to trust this person because he knows or she knows what they're doing. So was the first point of call for you, obviously, chemo, radiation, like the, the usual stuff, or what, what was the first sure. Western medicine approach yeah. to this? So after the PET scan, when there was more information to go by, um, you know, approximate size and all that kind of stuff, the, the surgery aspect was absolutely the primary treatment. Okay, so cut a chunk out of the cervix, get it out. Question mark then was around what follow what would follow that so radio or chemo or a combination of both or a hysterectomy mm-hmm. so both the radiation and depending on the type of hysterectomy options would have been straight into menopause i wanted to have another child so you've got that weighing heavily on your mind but also 
you know, does that shorten my life? Does it, you know, all these other questions coming in. What about my quality of life? Does that, you know, feeling like it might age you, you know, all that kind of stuff. Can I, can I just stop you there also? Yeah. I know with some women that have had hysterectomies too, did you consider your sex life when you when you were thinking of about hysterectomy? Because I know that women are like afraid to have it because they may not be able to feel the orgasm or anything like that. Did that come into your head as well? Look, as a secondary thing, I think depending on what they take out, <laughs> your sensation is still there. You know, they're not taking out your cervix. Uh, sorry, your cervix. Cervix and and above, not not below. So so more as a secondary thing, and more more later. To be honest, to be honest. Okay, sorry. Go on. I interrupted your flow. <laughs> no, that's all right. So yeah, th- then the recommendation, if you like, from um, conservative Australian medical protocol was okay. We'll go with the radio chemo because if we do the hysterectomy, we'll have to have you have to follow up with one or both of those anyway. So, okay, that's what I was looking at. So I had a, um, an appointment with the radio person and, you know, explained all the detail. Um, didn't bond really well with him, but appreciated that he took me through all of the details. And, and this was still before the surgery, so, so working out that. So from then, obviously, that was like, why? Why do I have to make either of those decisions and and I I was um it was communicated to me that there were options there but ultimately it was like okay this is what should be done from there and then I guess from left field came another option okay good because that leads me to my next thing the one thing I will before we go there is you've got a husband so did that become a decision that you two had to make together or was this just personally your it was just all about what you kind of wanted He's great at taking in information and dissecting it. And particularly at that time, you know, you're at your most vulnerable because you're emotional. It's your own physical body. It's got all, you know, all of that. You're absolutely overwhelmed. So it was probably the next stage where he really kicked in to be more involved. And that's when he found out about treatment called um, photodynamic therapy. Um, so that look, it's something that he researched online, which is, you know, kind of well, okay, what what is this thing? but uh, was looking at medical journals and articles, including The Lancet, and some really, really detailed stuff. So he basically filtered all of that and showed it to me. And then it was, he was part of that decision with me. Yeah, it was ultimately still my decision in as far as he and I went. And we were kind of, you know, that pair looking at exploring these options, but that sat well outside the medical uh, people (laughs) because it wasn't available in Australia. So it's something that's been used for decades for skin cancers Um, in Australia. You know, if you have a look now, it's at loads of dermatologists everywhere um, and for all sorts of skin conditions, including skin cancers, but it wasn't available for deeper tissue at that point in time. It was just trying to make that decision around, do we do something that's against what is recommended by doctors in Australia or not. Great. And that was that the only option you were tossing up at the time? Was it, was it just like, so, you know, you've gone, okay, there's this road and this is the, the, the guaranteed road or there are other ways we can do this. Was, was PDT, is that the, the acronym for it? Photodynamic yeah, PDT. therapy. Was that the only thing you were looking at at the time? Uh, look, I, there were other supporting things, um, but that's complementary kind of stuff, you know, so nutrition and all, you know, those those other things to help 
body, but they're not going to get rid of it, right? So the decision was like, well, how do you make that kind of decision? I'm quite an organised person myself, so I did a project plan. Um, <laughs> and, you know, it was, it was about timing too. How, how long before I go to whatever treatment is going to give me the greatest opportunity and success in whatever we choose, throw in some ovarian tissue being taken out to potentially use later to help with fertility depending on the upcoming treatment, throwing a round of IVF to get eggs out for that option to be open later. Uh, so all of that, <laughs> I popped onto a bit of a timeline and really decided that we could give it a go, go to China, come back, uh, do an IVF cycle as in get the eggs out. And um, you had to wait to get a PET scan. So do that in between have a PET scan. If it worked, great. If it didn't, then I'd go back to the traditional radio camera. Wow. And what was the timeline that you were looking at for all of that? A couple of months. Okay. So flying to China. So just for those that don't know, what's a PET scan? So PET scans, basically you, you have, you know, you have fluid um, through your body and that's picked up um, by a PET scan so it's you know your whole body goes in and it's basically to see how big the cancer was in my cervix and if it was anywhere else in my body, body so if it had spread. Wow so you had a one-year-old and then you were contemplating going to China to do a therapy that wasn't tried and tested I mean I just love your bravery always have <laughs> so yeah I mean it does take courage to do that and fantastic that you had a supportive partner that was along that because it's really difficult when you're diagnosed and you would know this too to convince friends and family who care about you that this is what your choice is and just have them accept it especially if you're going off the beaten track and trying something new so oh, absolutely yeah. and yeah and there were people close to me who didn't want me to do it but were supportive and there were other people who were on board and said go for it you might as well it's not going to hurt it's not going to harm that kind of thing so and all of those things weigh on your mind when you're making those a decision like that because it was significant okay so when did you go to China after that timeline and did your hubby go with you yep so diagnosis was in August of 13 and then you know the PET scan was soon after uh, the surgery was soon after that. And then I had a variant tissue out. And then we went in uh, November, I guess, or three months. So basically, the treatment in China was a <laughs> part of a hospital that was set up for user pays international um, people who just came to get that treatment. And it was for a little over a week. And then you, you the protocol was two weeks break. And then having another round of uh, a bit over a week. So yeah, hubby came and baby came and we went to China. I did a round of treatment. Then we went to Thailand for a holiday, which was the best thing we could have done. Then we're back to China for another round of treatment and then came home. Amazing. And so were there risks involved with this? And if so, what were they? And did you have to sign things? Uh, no, no signing things. I think I think I basically told them I'll be back, you know, <laughs> mm. for testing and if it works, great. And if it doesn't, then, you know, we'll talk again. So, yeah, no, there, were, there wasn't any signing. I, I'd sent medical records over to China. There were doctors who looked at it there. It was, it was my, you know, my decision and my liability, I guess. Yeah. All right. So you've done all that. Um, did it hurt? 
No, so the process is day on, day off. So you take, uh, you drink a solution. It's chlorophyll-based solution. So it looks like a really bad green smoothie. <laughs> it's only a little, you know, like half a glass maybe, but it's really concentrated. That then absorbs into your body and more so into the cancer cells. And then the following day, I would go back and have the actual treatment. So it's infrared light treatment that's applied because the cervix is accessible <laughs> vaginally. That yeah. was how that worked. And basically it's not, you know, you're not putting poison in your body to kill the cancer cells. It's applying infrared light that reacts with the chlorophyll-based solution to um, create oxygen. And the oxygen has a detrimental effect on the cancer cells. Yeah, well, they do oxygen therapy, don't they? I mean, for, for cancer now, but it's just mm. not this particular way, way of method. And, and do they do it in Australia now? There, there are studies around for different types of cancer. So there's a little bit, but there's still not a lot happening. And are you comfortable with saying the name of the place that you went to? Just oh, we'll, I'll well, put it, um, it was called NGPDT, um, but they're not. Um, operating there anymore I did have a call a couple of years ago <laughs> asking if I'd be available for someone like as a referee patient referee if you like to to be called because they were looking at expanding and moving around um, in different countries and I, I said absolutely but I, I imagine the COVID's ceased all of that so yeah I'm not sure what, what that's at um, but there are some studies in Australia. Um, I guess what, people could do their own research really photodynamic therapy that an interest to you so it wasn't a given that it was going to work you've come back home and how long after the therapy did you realize actually this is working so so there's a recommended time frame to wait until after any treatment that happens in Australia for normal treatments depending on what it is that will determine the time frame to wait between when the treatment's finished and, and a pet scan to check the results because um, you can have inflammation to start with then things go down and settle um, so in that time, came home, did, went through a round of IVF to, and egg collection to get some eggs out for, for later, depending on what, what would happen. Um, and then about six weeks later, I had a PET scan back in Melbourne and that came back clear. So unbelievable. On a spiritual level, do you believe this, ha this was purely science or do you believe that there was other things involved? You know, because on every level with, with illness, People pray and people do other stuff and they, they, it may or may not work. Was this a purely scientific thing that just worked for you or did you put other things in play? Look, I, th I think you can only help yourself by looking after yourself, trying to stay calm. I did heaps of meditation more than I've probably ever done before, um, you know, really tried to look after myself. But I'd always been, as I said, fit and healthy. So the base, the base was there. Look, to me, it was very much science. It's new technology. It disappoints me that it's not available broadly right now, especially because it didn't make me sick. Mm. Um, and a lot of people going through a lot of cancer treatment and they're absolutely smashed by it because it, it you know impacts on healthy cells through the body as well so yeah to, to me it's about the the science about the technology but with support emotionally and looking after myself to to help my body and so amazing you got to keep your cervix you had another baby and you know you did everything right for yourself and and your family so all the naysayers are pro were probably just like, whoa, it actually worked. Amazing. Now, you did mention that you have to see your oncologist still every year. 
is that because you're now susceptible to cancer and there's a level that you actually still have to maintain of, of health? It's very normal. Yeah, at the start, it was once every three months. A couple of years later, I had a scare. Things just looked a bit different, but also I was between pregnancies, so things had been a bit stirred up. That was thankfully fine. But uh, yeah, so now I'm back to once every 12 months. Um, and it's your regular pap test style plus um, a couple of biopsies that are taken each time. Yeah, and I've had, you know, got results a couple of weeks ago from the last one. And are there any particular supplements or things that you're taking to prevent the recurrence of it, or you're just doing, ex- you know, keeping up your amazing healthy lifestyle, but nothing in particular that you're taking? To- yeah, not specifically. Look at the time, looking into things. I sort of went mostly vegetarian, but I was kind of that way anyway, so that wasn't a, a big impact. Um, I've always been a sweet tooth and a big baker. <laughs> I sugar right back. Um, do I eat sweet things now? Yes, when I want to. But I also found that I don't crave it like I used to because I did cut a lot of it out for some time. So it's probably a, a happy medium, if you like. Yeah, because a lot of the a lot of the research shows that sugar is very bad for cancer. That the cancer loves the sugar. Well, basically, when you have a PET scan, what they inject has sugar in it so it's uh it attaches to to the cancer cells and and you know that's a scientist can see that so if you've got cancer cutting it down makes sense because otherwise you're just feeding it but if it's not in your body then it's not going to cause it okay so this is this is a really important thing um so the love your diagnosis concept here um is about you know just basically you know, getting in touch with the fact that you've got this and how to how to cope with it in, in a way where you're not working against yourself. So what were you, you were just saying that you don't love your diagnosis, so I'm going to let you take this away. Yeah, I, I like the concept and I, I admire that uh, some people are able to have peace with the diagnosis because it, it's helped them be who they are and they've moved through their journey and come out the other side stronger all that kind of stuff part of that I, I I get but I hated my diagnosis I still hate it if I could change it I would um, if I could have had the vaccination for cervical cancer as a preteen instead of getting it absolutely I wish that could have happened can't change that though um, so no I don't I don't love my diagnosis um, you know it was there was a lot of shit that came from that it was really hard and really challenging yeah, but I, I can appreciate that other people can move forward and, and um, voice it that way. Yeah, I suppose because I guess with what you went through, it was a treatment and it worked and you don't kind of have to live with it every day. Like for me, every day I have to think about maybe a seizure, maybe, you know, mm. for, for, so if for someone like myself and someone that has an ongoing condition, I guess you have to learn to love it very differently to what you went through because yeah. it hasn't defined you. You know, you've, you've been able to kind of, in inverted commas, walk away and go, wow, that was a fucking great experience, not. But the best thing out of it is, and I'm so glad that you were honest about that because I can imagine it would have been just a horrendous thing to face mortality as well like potentially yeah is that um I forgot what I was going to say but that's that's all right I think we've we've covered it and I'm not going to edit that either 
um, yeah, yeah, I think when you're talking then, you know, once you've had, I totally appreciate that for you and others, once you've had cancer, it's always been in your body and it's, it's therefore naturally one of your greatest fears that to be told it's come back. So mm. that lives with you, but you don't have the day-to-day. Um, well, in my situation, for example, I had problems with fertility to deal with for many, many years. Um, you know, pelvic floor <laughs> needs a lot of work to hold everything up. Uh, there were things like that, but that's, you know, that's, that's minor in comparison. Yeah, but it's, it's always there in the back of your mind. Yeah, that you can't run away from. And, and you're right. I mean, I don't love my diagnosis either, but I, I've, I love myself now and that and so that diagnosis is part of loving it you know like and that's that's the beauty of this podcast is just to to find that that truth for people you know and and what what's that saying what doesn't kill us makes us stronger and you're an incredibly Mm. strong resilient woman anyway if you you know I think anything that you would have been diagnosed with you would have like kicked in the butt big time for anyone listening that's going through the same thing, if you had a little parting gift of words that you could tell someone who's actually going through the same thing, you know, what would it be as far as looking outside of the square? I think it's be involved as much as you are comfortable with. For me, you know, I have an exercise science degree. I understand the human body. Uh, I wanted to know all the details. I had loads of questions and I needed to know to satisfy what I was okay with going through. I know other people who don't want to look if they've got a cut on their finger. (laughs) They just want to be told by an expert, here's what needs to happen. I absolutely value the medical profession and the people in it, but I also understand that Australia is pretty conservative, it's pretty risk averse. And so for me, my pathway took the best bits of both, the best bits of what's available and um, part of the, the norm here and also a new technology that, you know, wasn't easy to access, <laughs> but that worked for me. Thank you so much be, for sharing. Be involved and take control. Take control. Yes, in the driver's seat. Absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing. It's such a great success story. And um, I hope a lot of people that listen um, just, you know, get a few little more tools in their toolkit to, to deal with something like this. Thanks, Bree. You're welcome. The Love Your Diagnosis podcast is proudly produced by me. So just to recap a little bit, Brioni was diagnosed with cancer and she found that she didn't want to go down the path of getting the hysterectomy and chemo and radiation first off. So what she did was she and her husband looked deeply into photodynamic therapy, which is not an approved method of killing cancer in Australia. It's actually used for skin cancers and other things like that, lung cancer and esophageal cancer. I think it's had some uh, benefit in, but in Brioni's case, she went to China, went through the treatment and it worked for her cervical cancer. The main benefit of Brioni's story for those that are going through it is that you can Think of other ways, you know, you be creative with your with your diagnosis. You don't just have to take one person's opinion about what the outcome for you is going to be. And it's really important that other people share their stories so that this information gets passed on. If you enjoyed today's show, at this stage, all you have to do is listen and tell your friends about it because there could just be a story on here 
that they've got diagnosed with or that they can relate to where they get to think outside the square. And a few seeds might be planted in their brains about other ways of dealing with it besides just what the original diagnosis and prognosis is. Thanks for listening. If you want to learn a little bit more about other options for what you can utilize for your wellness journey, click on the link below to the Happy Herb Company. They've got lots of amazing products to assist in getting you started in your wellness journey. Thanks again for listening. I'm Lainey Chait.